This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. As you look toward the future of the family, how would you describe the future of America? Just think about it for just a moment. As you consider the future of the family, how would you describe the future of America? We want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. We say that the family is the foundation the foundation of society is the very foundation of everything. But do we actually act that way? If we believe that, do we believe it enough to act accordingly? And what would the statistics of our time tell us about what we believe? You say, well, I know that uh, our nation's in deep trouble and the families and so on, and we see the sexual revolution playing out triple time, now in our schools and uh, uh, all over the country. And indeed, we see the behavioral problems. We see all of these things breaking down. We see and hear of fatherlessness that is the number one uh, practical crisis in the family, uh, in, in the nation, and so on. But here's the question that I have for you today. Since 99% of those who listen to this program are committed claiming to be born-again Christians, what would you say is the future of America based upon the condition of the family among professing Christians? That's what we really want to look at here today on Viewpoint, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and, quite frankly, what we're really talking about in a bigger sense is the vision of what it means to be a Christian and Christians gathered as the body of Christ, which we call the church. Can we truly say that our jam-packed church calendar and our dynamic programs for every demographic group at our churches are making radical disciples for Jesus? Are the Christians in your church congregation growing in faith, godliness, and character? Are the children in your faith community receiving the baton of faith and following Jesus into adulthood? Is your church family deepening in their love for and obedience to the Bible and to God himself? Well, the reality for many right now is that we're offering more programming, yet we're making fewer true disciples. And just because the seats are full in our churches doesn't mean disciples are being made. Did you know that? Many churches are a mile wide and an inch deep. And perhaps worst of all, it seems that we're losing the majority of our own kids and grandchildren to the spirit of the world. Now, you may not like to hear that, but try these statistics on for size. In 2019, just three years ago, the Barna Research Team studied the faith commitments of 18 to 29-year-olds who had Christian backgrounds. Would you be interested in knowing what they found? Well, I'm going to tell you whether you're interested or not. Here it is. 
Only 10% were active followers of Jesus Christ. Only 10%. 38% still occasionally attended church, but did not have the foundational core beliefs or behaviors associated with being a true follower of Jesus Christ, an engaged disciple. And the remaining 52% either no longer considered themselves Christians at all, or were disconnected from ongoing practices of the Christian faith. Wow. It seems that we're losing more of our own kids to the world than we are winning adult converts to faith in Christ. And friends, if you don't think that's affecting the future of America, you either are blind in one eye or refuse to see out of the other. It's it's just that way. How could all these things be happening? We have, what, 350,000 Christian congregations or more. We have Christian colleges and universities all over the country, supposedly. We have more Bibles per capita than in any other nation on the face of the planet. We have over 2,000 Christian radio stations and television outlets. We have a book publishing industry that used to be so profitable that everybody and his brother wanted to get into it. We have a Christian music industry. Do you see how we are inculcated with so-called Christian things? The problem is we're not raising up Christians. Do you not think that has that has something to do with the future of our country? We want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint with our special guest, Rob Reno. Uh, he is, uh, I consider him a wonderful uh, Christian brother, friend, and colleague. He's been on this program many times over the years. He's written a new book called Visionary Church, How Your Church Can Strengthen Families. Maybe we should change that subtitle to How Your Family Can Strengthen the Church. What do you think, Bob? I like that. I like that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, what do you think about the future of our country? You know, we formed Save America Ministries back in 1993 with the commitment to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation here in America's Greatest Crisis Hour. Well, what we're really talking about here is our Christian foundations are being, they're cracked up, they're disappearing, they're sinking into oblivion even in and through our churches. Now, that is troubling to me. How about you? Boy, amen. Okay, you asked a question about the future of the nation. I think there's two immediate thoughts that come to mind. One is I think all of God's people should be eagerly praying for and seeking revival. Uh, We know that uh, the Holy Spirit of God can uh, miraculously turn things around, not just in individual hearts, uh, but in whole nations and whole cultures. We see this in the scriptures. We see this with Nebuchadnezzar. We see this with the raising up of Joseph. We see this amazing um, uh, whole cultural turnarounds and revivals that we know that God can do. Uh, At the same time, you know, to use your illustration from before, we would be fools or blind in one eye or refusing to see out of the other uh, if we don't see with clarity 
the spiritual attack uh, against the people of the world, but particularly the people of our country. So many uh, of the attacks coming against us spiritually, morally, culturally, are family attacks. Um, Satan and the demons completely understand God's plan to advance the gospel, God's plan to build uh, cultures and civilizations on his word. And those plans begin with manhood and womanhood and marriage and parenting and the family. You got it. So, so what, where does the enemy attack most? Manhood, womanhood, sexuality, marriage, the family, uh, attacking the, the relationship between the parent and the child. Right. And, and so the foundations are being destroyed. And if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's our question. We'll be exactly right back. Right. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The United States is following rapidly in the footsteps of Western Europe in a spiritual sense. The lands that birthed the Reformation are now overwhelmingly secular over there in Europe, and that's happening here in this country as well. But how could this be happening? Churches are in high gear. We have conferences and building programs and training and budgets and staff. Christian books coming out the ears Curriculum for every age and stage, our outreach events, service days, retreats, and short-term mission trips seem like they're never-ending, but it seems like we're not really making disciples. How could this be? And seeing that it is, what should we do about it? What can we do about it? You see, here's the problem. As I listen to people both uh, Christians and uh, secular conservatives and so on across the nation and have for the last 28 years, what I have discovered is everybody thinks the problem is with somebody else. Almost nobody accepts responsibility for the condition that we're in. I remember a study that came out in California years, years back and uh, they concluded 91% of American uh, of Americans believed that they were doing a good job in training their children. 91%. How could that be possible when we see such massive deterioration in the country? It's just not possible. In other words, our viewpoint concerning what we really are doing is not only skewed, but just dishonest. We're just not seeing things accurately. Today, hopefully, without being accusatory, we want to try to catch a vision for what can be done, what your role is. You can't do everything, as Edmund Burke once said, but you can do something. What you can do, you should do, and by the grace of God, can we say, I will do? I think that's where we are today. 
And uh, Rob Reno is our special guest. His wonderful book, Visionary Church, How Your Church Can Strengthen Families. And as I said, I like the idea of how your the families can strengthen your church. But uh, this is a $26 book, yours for $20, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. This is a life-changing book. This is a church-changing book. This is a pastor-changing book. This is a parent-changing book. This is a nation-changing book. Have I got the message across yet? $20, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Bonk 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, the title of the book, Visionary Church. By the way, Rob, can it be can it not be accurately said that a husband and a wife, together with the Holy Spirit, make up the foundational element, the microcosm of the church? Well, they certainly make up the, the microcosm of culture and a microcosm mm-hmm. of civilization and the home and you know, God created this institution of marriage. He created manhood and womanhood, and uh, the purposes for which God created marriage, so many of them are, are theological. They are. It is a picture of Christ's love to the Church. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a picture of the unity in the Trinity, but also it is a, it's a discipleship relationship. I mean, uh-huh. God, brought, God brought my wife, Amy and I are coming up on 28 years together, God brought my wife into my life because he thought that the Holy Spirit could use her more than anybody else in my life to change me. All right, now wait a minute. You, to help you've me become been, a more godly man. You've been married 28 years. You have seven kids ranging from 8 to 24. You and your spouse have been actively fulfilling God's request. That you be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, by the grace of God. And, I, you know, when we first got married, Chuck, we didn't, I didn't understand any of the things we're going to talk about today on this show. Uh-huh. I didn't understand. I, I mean, I was a believer and she was a believer. Praise God for that. I didn't understand what the purpose of being a husband was, what the purpose of marriage was. I didn't understand what the purpose of being a parent was. Here was a huge disconnect that I had in my life. Mm-hmm. I did not connect my family life with my ministry for God. Mm. I did not connect my home with making a difference in the world for Christ. So well, much apparently so, you, know, you were just like all pastors out there because 70% of them admit that uh, their spouses are not happy in their marriages. Yeah, well, you mentioned a moment ago how this starts with us personally. I mean, we can talk about the culture this and the culture that, but the first 10 years of our marriage, uh, we were blessed with four children during that time. I was mm-hmm. a youth pastor for those 10 years. But I was so busy uh, at church, and I was so busy praying with other people's children right mm-hmm. as a youth pastor that I was spiritually neglecting my own children and my mm-hmm. own family. And God had to bring me to a place, a very deep place of, of repentance uh, over my out-of-whack spiritual life. So the shoemaker's children had no shoes. Exactly right. Sadly. <laughs> Sadly. And, and unfortunately, that is a characteristic uh, out there 
uh, very, very unfortunate. I think part of the reason is because we even have a wrong vision of church, its leadership, and we actually have delegated to the pastor as a hired gun that which God expected us to do. Oh, man, you, that, I couldn't, you couldn't say that any better, that we really have come out of an age of delegation parenting. You know, if we want our kids to learn basketball, we get them a coach. If we want them to learn piano, we get them a teacher. If we want them to learn Jesus, we drop them off at Sunday school or youth group, and we just drive the minivan around and take them to all the experts. And I, I, I love coaches. I love piano teachers. I love Sunday school, and I love youth group. But, boy, when it comes to the spiritual training of our kids or helping our kids and our grandkids receive the baton of faith. You lock yourself in a room with the Bible, you find out that God calls mom and dad and grandma and grandpa to be that primary spiritual shepherd uh, in the home. And I, I think there is good news on this front. I am seeing the Holy Spirit all over our country and even all over our world right now, awakening the hearts of Christian parents to their spiritual mission with their children. Wow. Well, I guess I haven't seen it yet, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, we certainly are exhorting to that, and since the very birth of our first daughter uh, 49 years ago, uh, my commitment uh, has been that that's exactly what our responsibility was to be, that our family and our home was to be the not only the threshold, but the, the womb of Christian discipleship and preparation. And so we tried to conduct ourselves accordingly, even though as a practicing attorney and also involved in other areas of ministry, uh, I still was committed, this is what we're going to do. This is who we are as uh, professing followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen for that vision. And and I think I'm probably like a lot of other dads and, and parents out there. I I have the vision clearly in my heart, and then I get distracted, and I kind of <laughs> fall, fall off track. And, and uh, maybe our family prayer time or family Bible time, you know, days go by where, where it doesn't happen, and I find mm-hmm. myself, okay, I need, to, I need to repent again and just ask the Lord to reboot. Or, you know, another really common pattern you see, Chuck, is Christian parents, when they have younger children, uh, preschool, elementary school children, mm-hmm. because life is simpler, they're able to have a little bit more of that time in prayer and time in God's Word. But when those teen years hit and the relationships become more complicated and the schedules become more complicated, it's like it's like just when your kids get to the point that they need your spiritual care more than ever, it seems to dry up in the home. And so it's mm. never too late. It's never too late to start uh, praying together as a family, right. opening God's Word together as a family, and it's never too late to restart even though there may be some shame or awkwardness or embarrassment. And we need to understand that uh, today was tomorrow yesterday, and today is the first day of the rest of my life. So if if yesterday you weren't about these things, today is the day, isn't it? Oh, amen, amen. And the enemy loves to just overwhelm us with guilt and shame from the past Mm -hmm. uh, or inadequacy. You know, very few uh, adult Christians grew up with parents who actively discipled them at home. True. So That's very true. Few, yeah, so very few adult church folks today have a personal model for what this look, looks like. So we're asking God to do a work of generational progress, right? Mm-hmm. That, 
that we would be more faithful than our parents. We want our children to be more faithful than us. We want our grandchildren to be more faithful than them so that the gospel would advance through the generations of our family. So this is a generational vision. Uh, it's not about turning the tide uh, in, in 10 minutes or 10 days or even 10 years, but it's a matter of doggedly pursuing what God has called us to do day after day, week after week, year after year, always keeping the vision before us and uh, trusting that God in his grace and mercy is going to uh, prosper those labors, even though from day to day we might not exactly see how that's happening. Well, that's exactly right. And and Amy and I are, I mean, I'm living testament of that. My, I didn't come from some big, like, spiritual legacy, spiritual background. When I was born, neither one of my parents were Christian. Really? My mother, my mother was my father's fourth wife. My father was my mother's, <laughs> I know, my father was my mother's second husband. They both came into their marriage far from God, very broken. And it was when I was a baby, I was three months old. And God worked a miracle in my mother's life and brought her to repentance and wow. faith in Christ. And so she's the first Christian in our family tree. My, my parents ended up getting divorced. My dad cheated on my mom. It was a mess. So oh, my, my goodness, bro- Rob. My brother and I, we're the first two Christian men in our family tree. We're the first to have Christian marriages in our family tree. My children are the first kids growing up in, in homes in our in the generations of our family with mm-hmm. intact parents, with Christian parents. So listen, we are falling short every day, but my goodness, God is working generationally, right, in our family through his grace. Through How his beautiful. Power. I'm so glad that you shared that with us because the brokenness coming out of the last uh two generations, from the baby boomers on to uh the baby busters and generation X and and now generation Z, we're looking at a degeneration of uh, the Christian faith of of the family and so on that has wreaked such havoc everywhere and bred a sense of hopelessness and then among our children even the fear of getting married. Yeah. They're paralyzed. In fact, sociologists say. Uh, they, they they call it the failure to launch. They're so paralyzed and so fearful because their parents have not established a biblical and godly uh, pattern of life. Boy, it's so true and so discouraging to hear. We spend a lot of time with those 20-somethings who say exactly that. They say, I, I don't have any interest in marriage, or I don't have any interest in having kids, at least not this point in my life. And so many of that is from the woundedness. Yeah. Uh, that they experienced, and part that's part of the message of the gospel, though not only through the power of the resurrection can God bring healing to the wounds that we experienced as children, but we're also not doomed to repeat. You know, Satan loves to replicate sin and bondage in families. He loves to replicate favoritism and addiction and divorce and all of these things. Right. And part of what... what uh, uh, the Lord calls us into is this new life where we say, Lord, would you use the power of the resurrection to break any of these curses, these generational patterns that I might be under, that there would be new legacies established in my life. That's exactly the vision. And uh, in order to get there, you've described in your book, actually, a, a broader uh, 
environment for this uh, family ministry and discipleship to take place. And it's based in, in five different uh, uh, sections, five different elements, the sufficiency of Scripture, the loss of what you call doctrine of jurisdiction, uh, God's mission for the local church, God's mission for the family, and then finally, uniting church and family to fulfill the Great Commission. And we want to spend uh, a little bit of time in the next segment following this break uh, to talk about those things and then get back to the application and implications of those things uh, for our families because that's where it all has to begin. Friends, the book, Visionary Church, How Your Church Can Strengthen Families or How Your Family Can Strengthen the Church. Uh, It's a $26 book, yours for $20 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Get it today. We need all the hope and vision we can get. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today as we talk with our special guest, Rob Reno, uh, concerning his book, Visionary Church, How Your Church Can Strengthen Families, and then my my reordered subtitle, How Your Family Can Strengthen the Church. Okay, uh, there are five elements here that create the, the environment uh, in which our families can be strengthened to do the will of the Lord, but in order to kind of grab a hold of this in a visceral way, let me just make this statement. Belief in God or belief that God exists is not enough. Even the devil believes and trembles. Believing that God exists is not enough. Also, here's the corollary. Believing the Bible is true is not enough. Now that may shock you. But you'll have to listen to what is meant by that. It's not that there's anything evil about believing in God or evil about believing that the Bible is true. We should believe that they're true. But what if you believe there's a God? And what if you believe that the Bible, his word, is true? But you don't follow them. You don't obey them. Are you not a hypocrite? Are they doing you any good? Are you not actually being self-deceived, like Jesus' brother said? Hmm. When he said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, I wonder if these aren't uh, contributory factors 
to the breakdown of our families, the breakdown of our churches, and indeed the breakdown of our country. Rob, what do you think? Well, you just described a major broken area of my own faith for many years. Really? Uh, Yeah, I believed that the Bible was true. Now, again, I grew up with that Christian mom, praise the Lord, who shepherded mm-hmm. me and led me to Jesus at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Christian college. I believed the Bible was true. It's God's Word, authoritative, all the way down the line. But here was the piece that I didn't understand or that I was missing. I believed it was true, but I didn't necessarily believe it was enough. Oh! This is, yeah, this is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Most Christians would be aware, I know a theological talk here, most Christians are aware of the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture. It's mm-hmm. true. It's authoritative. But the well, that, that was the big war of the last century. That's exactly right. And I believe the war of the 21st century in the Church now mm-hmm. is not whether they think the Bible's true, because you ask most Christians, oh, absolutely, the Bible's true. But is By the, the way, Bible they just don't obey it. Agreed on that. <laughs> we, well, we all fall short. But is the Bible enough? for every matter of faith and practice. Let me try to give you a picture of this, and I learned this from Francis Schaeffer. Um, prior to the late 20th century, uh, when, we, when we talked about the truth of the Bible, in the center of the Scripture is what we might call religious truth. And I mean that in a positive way. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is heaven? What is hell? What is morality? How are we saved? Okay, the so Bible, religious facts. Yes, the Bible speaks authoritatively to all those things. Right. But prior to the late 20th century, we also believed that the Bible spoke authoritatively to how we handle our money, our sexuality, our marriage, history, science, government. In other words, the things of real life. Mm -hmm. And now Christians still go to the Bible for religious things. Mm -hmm. What is heaven? What is hell? What's right? What's wrong? But if the question is, how should I handle my sexuality? or the question is, uh, what's the role of a husband or wife in marriage, or what's the role of government, to say, well, let's go to the Bible and see what God says. Even in the Church, that becomes an awkward question. Oh, it sure does. Because we don't any longer press God's Word into every sphere of life where it belongs. And And that's that's one of the problems with pastors. They're afraid, given this environment, they're afraid to apply the Word of God with specificity in all of these areas because they know it's going to touch the tender toes of the majority of their congregation. You're right. You're right. And it's, it's part of its fear, I agree with that, uh, but part of it is a broken area in, in again, I'll pick on myself for many years, uh, in our own theology where we don't or understand that God's Word was designed, that God gave us His Word to speak to every area of practical life. Let me, mm-hmm. try, to give you another, let me try to give you another illustration. God's Word speaks on four levels. It gives us truth, it gives us the will of God, mm-hmm. it gives us the ways of God, and it gives us the call of God, real quick. Or the will uh, of God, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so truth. Um, let's try it this way. Let's say a friend of yours comes to you and says, Chuck, you've been telling me that God is a personal God. Is that true? Yes. You, you would say yes. You've also been telling me, Chuck, that God wants me to worship him in a personal way. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Okay, so right now you've given me truth. You've given me the will of God. Okay, so Chuck, what I do 
uh, is I go in my backyard, I make a fire, I jump in the fire, I, I rub the coals all over my body, and I burn myself. And when I do that, it makes me feel very close to the divine spirit. That's how I worship God. <laughs> okay. I, that, I, I don't know. I would never have known that of you, Rob. Yes, right, exactly. So at that, <laughs> at that point, you, you would say, in love to your, your new Christian friend, you would say, listen, I'm really glad you want to worship God, but you're worshiping him wrongly. In other words, the Bible doesn't just say worship God. The Bible gives very specific instructions for how to do it. Pray, mm-hmm. sing, fellowship, fast, work, right? Exactly. In spirit so, and in truth, right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 exactly. So you see, we have to press God's Word all the way down into the practicality of things. And so exactly. when it comes to, for, when it, we're talking about children, we're talking about families. Uh, God loves children. That's truth. God wants children to hear the gospel. That's His will. But then he speaks to jurisdiction. Who's supposed to do that? Oh, now wait a minute. You've got a whole section on jurisdiction, the lost doctrine of jurisdiction. That's exactly right. That sounds like a legal term. It is, and we have lost it. Here's the idea that in the scriptures, God speaks to individuals, Mm -hmm. families, churches, and governments, and he gives different roles and responsibilities to each of those jurisdictions. Right. And if you and if you mess up the jobs of the jurisdictions of the Bible, things are going to go very badly. Okay, so, so let's here say, let, let, let's look at what's happened in our country. Yep. We the people, the church has delegated its responsibility to the government increasingly. Correct. The families the families have delegated their responsibilities to the government. Correct. The parents uh the the parents have delegated their responsibility to the pastors and youth leaders. So rather than fulfilling our God-required jurisdictional responsibilities, in almost every instance, we've tried to pass it off to somebody else. Yep, and we could go down the line. So I talk to parents who will say, I don't need to talk to my kids about sexuality because they're going to have an assembly at school that's going to do that. (laughs) Oh, you better believe they're going to do it and pervert the mind and heart of your kids. That's correct. So you see, the government has taken over the jurisdiction of moral training. Mm -hmm. The parent abdicated it to the government. And any time there are jurisdictional violations of God's principles, the end results are always going to be disastrous. Another example, um, the government has taken over the, the financial care of our seniors. Mm-hmm. Now, if you lock yourself in a room with the Bible and you say, well, who is supposed to care for people in their old age? You find out that it's the family in the church. Mm-hmm. So this is a jurisdictional violation. True. Really interesting. You, you know, I, I, I'm sure you know this background. Um, I, as a pastor, uh, when it comes to Social Security, have the legal option to exempt myself from paying into Social Security for religious reasons. True. Now, this, now, why in the world would they do this? Well, because back in the 30s, when this thing was being debated, Congress was debating it as a religious issue. Mm-hmm. And they had a whole bunch of folks that said Christians cannot participate in this, because we have to trust our families, trust God, and trust our churches to care for us. So well, the way they solved that is they say, okay, well, your clergy folk can be exempt if they want. So we, we've, been so, we've been so soaked in these jurisdictional violations, we don't even know they're happening. Yeah, they become normative. Exactly. This is this is the example of the frog in the kettle, isn't it? Right, right. And I don't want people to hear 
it was a really funny story. Chuck, you'll love this. I had a woman, I was sharing this in a sermon one time, and I had a woman in her 80s come and say, well, Rob, I need my Social Security. You're saying it's wrong to take my Social Security? I said, no, of course not. That's your money. I mean, they, they took your and your husband's earnings for years, and now they're just giving you back a portion of what they gave you. This is your money. And she said, okay, I feel better about that. We actually ran the math, and her husband had made you know $40,000 a year for X number of years, and uh, they had taken 15% of that over those 40 years. We ran the math. I said, do you know if they didn't take your money, you'd have $3.2 million in the bank right now? She said, I've been, she said, I've been robbed. They were so in other words, what, what, what happened was it created a false trust. Exactly. The exactly. shifting of trust, trust from God and his jurisdictional plan to a radically different plan. And how, and so here's the thing with my generation, okay, I just had a birthday that rhymes with nifty, okay, I've got both our pets that the parents are uh, approaching 80. Mm-hmm. People in my generation, we do not sit around and think, how do I need to be saving money to take care of my parents in their old age? Mm. We do not think like that. And as a result, it's just accelerating the jurisdictional crisis and the jurisdictional problems, exactly. the, dependent, the, the dependency on the government, and that old adage, you do not bite the hand that feeds you, hence the overwhelming silence, even in the church, when the government does things that are so contrary to our faith. The echoing consequences are so great in violating this jurisdictional understanding and I have seldom heard anyone speak to this like you have. I, I just commend you. You've made it so clear, so plain. And, uh, you know, if pastors really want to get a hold of things and really want to begin to teach the restoration of the family and the role of the church and, uh, and, and so on in our country, these are the places to start, the foundational places. Now let's talk about the mission for the local church. Uh, and we're going to do that after this break, and then we'll move back to the, the God's purpose for the family, uniting the family, and then merge everything together for fulfilling God's great call uh, to the world through the Great Commission. So friends, stay tuned. The book, Visionary Church. We'll put this $26 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. In this day and age, I would say click House Church. That's where the church began. And it was there for 100, 200 years. 
before it ever met a building. Think about that. Jesus said, I'll build my church. You make disciples. So what did we do? We built churches and didn't make disciples. Now look at the problem we're in. You know what it is, what a disciple is? A disciple is one who follows the Lord in his word, his will, and his ways. In other words, who obeys God. That's what a disciple is. That's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching people to observe, obey everything that I have commanded. That is the Great Commission, not evangelism. Evangelism is just a threshold step. It's teaching people to obey God and to follow him with a whole heart. That's God's intention. Now, when we think about that and we go back to the mission of the church then, the local church, what is the purpose of the local church? Can we claim that the ministries in our church are biblical if there's no command or even pattern in the Bible for what we're doing? That's a fascinating question, Rob. Dig deep for us on that one. All right. Well, first of all, I want to make sure we're defining the terms. We're talking very specifically now about the local church. Okay. God, We're not talking about church capital C, which would be all God's people right, right okay. around the world. So what is the specific mission, jurisdictional responsibility that he's given to the local church? If you lock yourself in a room and you only answer that with Scripture, you come away with some limited answers. The job of the local church is limited. What are they supposed to do? Well, it they looks like Acts chapter 4, doesn't it? Exactly. There are, are four together. things, and we just laid them out in that uh, spot between our segments. Right. They're to gather for the worship of God. Mm-hmm. They're to gather for fellowship. They're to gather for the teaching of the Word. They're to gather for the ordinances. And the, the job of the leaders is to, Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, Wait, wait a minute. Is, you mean the pastors and the youth ministers are not there primarily to do the work of the ministry? That, according to the New Testament, no. And there's a great... <laughs> let, let's talk about... I want to apply that to the family in just a minute. Sure. But let me apply it. Let me apply it to evangelism. So you mentioned that a moment ago. Sure. Um, so in order for my neighbor to hear the gospel, what I need to do is bring them to church. I need to bring them to either Sunday or an outreach event where a professional can share the good news of Jesus with them. Mm-hmm. We've, got a, we've got a couple problems with this. Number one, uh, you've sure, delegated your responsibility. You have. You, it's a jurisdictional violation, and it's also horribly ineffective. Church right. is a creepy place for non-Christians. Which is... <laughs> and that's why pastors have tried to make it less creepy for non-Christians to make it look more like the world. Exactly. And so I, th- you know, I think about this. Okay, in men's ministry, we're going to plan a, a, a barbecue for the men, and we're going to do that at the church, and we're going to have some meat and talk about Jesus. So I go to my neighbor and I say, hey, would you like to come to a barbecue Saturday? And he says, oh, sounds great. Where is it at? I say, oh, it's at my church, 2 o'clock. He says, oh, man, okay, I, gosh, I had this thing, I would really love to come. See, as soon as he hears it at church, he's, his defenses go up. But what if I said this? What if I said, hey, we got a barbecue coming up this Saturday. Oh, where's it at? Well, it's in my backyard. I've got having some friends come over. I'd love for you to meet them. Well, hey, I'll be there. What do you want me to bring? 
the early church, and I know this is a passion area of yours. You better believe it. The, the, the early church viewed their homes as a place of ministry. They viewed their homes even as a place of evangelism. In the fact, gospel, they viewed their, their homes as the only place of ministry other than out on the streets. Exactly. The gospel was shared in the marketplace and in the homes. And this is, I'm back to the sufficiency of Scripture thing. And this, again, this was a huge missing piece for me for years of my mm. life. So if I see in the New Testament, this is the consistent pattern in the New Testament. Where is evangelism happening? In the homes and marketplace. Yep. I think that God wants me to see that pattern and follow it. That that's why he gave it to me. That that's, it's, that, the, that those words he gave us in the scriptures aren't there as just some random miscellaneous uh, history lesson. But he gave us the patterns of the early church so that we would say, well, if that's the way the early Christians did it, that's the way we should do it. So he didn't give us these uh, patterns to be okayed, but rather obeyed. Amen. And people might say, well, Rob, there's, there's no commandment, right? You're just describing you know, patterns for, for, for us to follow. Mm-hmm. I said, well, okay, th- I agree with that. There, there would be a difference between a thou shalt do this versus uh, a pattern. But he- here would be an example I-, I would give. Let's say that my son um, is going to mow the lawn. And he says, Dad, how do you want me? Would that be to, a miracle, by the way? If he... <laughs> yeah, well, I've, got, I've got four sons, so I've got Aren't you privileged? Getting, getting the lawn done. But uh, <laughs> he, he says to me, how, how do you want me to do it? I say, well, um, this is the way uh, your granddad did it, and this is the way I've always done it, and this is the way your older brother's always done it. Um, so I hope that helps you. Now, I did not say, thou shalt do it, ABC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I said, here's a pattern. Uh, obviously, I'm affirming this pattern. And if it's just about mowing the lawn, maybe he can figure out his own thing. But when God gives a pattern, when God gives something, uh, he, here's a, a quote from uh, Jim Elliott. This is the missionary from Ecuador. This was so impactful for me. Mm-hmm. He says, it's inconceivable that God would leave us his bride, that would be his church, right. with, without explicit instruction as to how to take care of her. Mm. Very and that's good. What we ha- and that's what we have in the New Testament. I'll in tell you, New Rob, Testament- you have done a, a magnificent job here, and just in this conversation, you have distilled these truths in such a way, uh, yeah, they shake us, but we need to be shaken, because everything in our culture has been shaken. We've been shaken over a period of time now of several hundred years that has brought us to this cataclysmic moment in human history for a country that was the only country seemingly ordained by God other than Israel, and yet we have virtually destroyed it. It's unbelievable. And it's happening every day, even in the name of Christ. That is what's so deceptive and so troubling to me. Is that troubling to you? Yeah, it, it, it sure is. And in connecting this back with uh, the family, which yeah. is where we started the, right. the conversation, um, you talk about the role of the church and the role of, of the home. You know, again, I love Sunday school. I love youth ministry. But these are, these are vitamin boosts for children. These aren't, these aren't meals. The meals that God gives us in his word for kids, like, do you want your kids to be spiritually healthy? 
teach them how to spend time with God all by themselves. Gather them for family worship in your home. And then when you are at church as a part of that corporate worship service, either in that home uh, or in that church building, you have your kids with you. Oh, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Would you say that again? You're saying not send them off to children's church, not send them off to the nursery, but have them with you in the corporate worship time? Well, here's the million-dollar question. What has God said about that in his word? Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. This was the missing piece for me. I keep saying that over and over again. I remember I saw a wonderful article, or a fascinating article, I should say, in a children's ministry magazine a number of years ago. The article was, Do Children Belong in Church? Three views, three different authors contributing. One mm-hmm. view was, one view was uh, no, they shouldn't be in church. They draw on the offering envelopes. They crawl under the pews. They need to be in Sunday school. <laughs> the middle view was, yes, they should be in church for the singing, but out for the sermon. And the third view should be is, uh, yes, they belong in the whole church service. Three different authors, three different views. Right. Good writing, very interesting. Here's what struck me in eight pages, not a single reference to the Bible. I believe that, because it's all based upon what the parents like, what they feel comfortable with, and what can be marketed to make people feel comfortable when they come to church. Yeah, and it was driven by what I would call a spirit of pragmatism. Mm -hmm. In other words, in our church, we found this works best. In our church, we found this works best. In our church, we found this works best. As opposed to, I mean, this is a critical theological question. What should we do with the precious children when we gather for the corporate worship of God every Lord's Day? This is not some flippant side issue. No. So rather than open God's Word and say, God, what have you said? And if you do that, here's what you find out cover to cover in the Bible, multiple times in the Old Testament, multiple times in the New Testament, it says all the men, all the women, all the children gathered together to hear the Word of God. All the men, all the women, all the children, the babies, squeaking babies. Boy, you want to ask what's a worshipful atmosphere? Squeaking babies is a worshipful atmosphere. (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, Let me give you a a couple of quick illustrations. Uh, From the very get-go, as we uh, raised our daughters, uh, we had them in corporate worship time together. And uh, then we became involved, uh, a volunteer pastor in one of the faster-growing churches in Southern California. And they had children's church, and they had youth church. It was a big church, so they had those things. So the youth leader and children's leader wanted our girls to go in with those ministries. All it took was about a month, and our daughters begged us to allow them to come back into the ministry with adults. They begged us. And here's what they thought. Number one, they said, this is so lightweight and meaningless that it's, you don't want us to be there. Secondly, they loved the fellowship with the adults. Mm -hmm. And the adults embraced them, and it became a beautiful, beautiful experience. Right. Now, there are a lot of Sunday schools out there and youth groups that have biblical depth and wonderful teaching. So those ministries that I've been a part of for so many years can 
can have a significant impact on the life of a child, but they can never replace what a child gets in the home and through what you just said, through their experience and participating in the whole faith family. What I've seen far too many times, a child, they, they do children's ministry and youth ministry, they're connected, they're doing well, and then they graduate from high school, they say, where do I go now? We say, you go to church now. Big church, we call it, with everybody else. And they, <laughs> Big church, they, okay. They've only been in there on Christmas and Easter for 18 years. They have never felt a part of the whole faith family. Mm. And it's a huge contributing factor to them walking away. And so the statistics show that by the time kids uh, graduate from high school, past 18 and then 20, that precious few of them remain in constant contact with the body of Christ as a whole. That's right. And that is what is preparing our nation for a very cataclysmic future. Wow. I'll tell you, Rob, uh, I have always, always, always enjoyed and appreciated our fellowship together. It's been two or three years uh, since you joined us here on the program. And when I saw this book come through and about the family and so on, I thought, you know what? We are going to do this. We have to talk about this. This is the foundation of everything. This isn't just some uh, esoteric thing out there. This isn't some big theological discussion. This is the foundational reality of what God intended for us. And I, I just thank you so much. What a gift to the church. Friends, the book, Visionary Church, How Your Church Can Strengthen Families, or, as I put it, How Your Family Can Strengthen the Church. Uh, $26 book, yours for $25 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. You know, let's be a doer of the word and not hearers only, friends. Let's not pray pretend anymore. How about if we just do it God's way for a change? It might be amazing what he will do through his grace and mercy on our behalf. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Write to us. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. And be a blessing. Be a blessing. God's way. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.